Today on the Broly Talks Hockey Podcast, I am joined by senior writer at the fourth period and host of the Kings of the Podcast, Dennis Bernstein. We discuss how he got his start in journalism, the Los Angeles Kings, and the Seattle Kraken expansion draft. All of this and much, much more in this week's Broly Talks Hockey Podcast. Hello, guys. Welcome back to the Broly Talks Hockey Podcast. And today I'm joined by Dennis Bernstein. He's a writer and podcaster at the fourth period and co-hosts the Kings of the Podcast with John Hoven and is also a co-host of Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. How are you doing today, Dennis? Doing great, bro. Let's do this one. Let's talk some pop. All right. And getting right into it, what was your favorite team growing up as a kid? Okay, so I had a split allegiance. So growing up until I was about 13 years old, I, would, I grew up in the Bronx, New York, so I was a New York Ranger fan. Um, I got tired of them choking in the playoffs every year, and that was like when they were 16. So actually, there was 12. And I moved to central New Jersey, and there was this team that were orange and white and brown, and they fought every night, and they were the Broad Street Bullies. So I became a Philadelphia Flyers fan in the 70s, saw them win two cups, and then probably until uh, like the 80s or early 90s when I started doing the media stuff, I was doing for the Flyers, and then I just, you know, stopped being, being a fan. So those, those were the two teams of my childhood. And did you play hockey growing up as a kid? Brody, I've never skated in my life. I can't skate. So that, that makes me an expert in hockey, right? So no, I've never skated. I've never played. I tried skating once and I fell about 25 times and that was it. Took the skates off and, and left and never got back on the ice again. So you were more interested into watching the game, but you did, you were around hockey a lot growing up, even though you weren't playing. Oh, I love the game. Yeah. I, I would, I would play, you know, floor hockey on my parents' bedroom, listening to the Ranger games on, WNBC and stuff like that. So I love the sport. Um, I got a little away from it in the eighties, got married for, for the first time and tried to start a family. So got away from it in the middle of in the eighties, but yeah, I've loved the sport uh, growing up. I remember the first time I went to a Ranger game was in Madison Square Garden. My dad got a seat in the blue seat, the last row. And he knew somebody guy came up between periods if the, between the first and second said, come with me. I sat in the second row. I think it was 65. They were playing the Blackhawks um, and fell in love with the game and have loved it ever since. And that eventually led you to sports journalism. But something interesting, how, how did you get into sports journalism after graduating with a degree in finance and accounting? Yeah, uh, well, I, I'm probably the least likely person to be in my position, Brody. Um, <laughs> when, I, when I was in college, I, I got a C in English, in freshman in English. Um, I've never taken a creative writing course or journalism course in my life, but I was a, I was a decent business writer. Um, I could tell a story. And I think where I really got good at, at what I do, my craft, because I didn't really start doing this until, I mean, I'm old, I'm like 63, right? So I'm like, mm-hmm. when I was 40, I kind of transitioned to this. Um, and and the, the thing was, I became a recruiter when I was 40 years old, and that was selling and telling stories. And I found my, I found my voice and I was able to tell a story and people liked it. And I think the way I tell stories, my tone and my New York accent, um, it just all kind of clicked in. So what happened was when I became a recruiter, I was doing this on the side. So I was always interviewing people, asking mm-hmm. them why. And I think that's why I became a really good, you know, when, when I still have friends that I do the media Zoom calls with now, and they, they text me like, that was a great question. I think I'm just a really good interview. I'm not the greatest writer in the world. I'm, I may have been tutored by some of the best, like Helene Elliott, who's in the Hall of Fame, who's been an Elma Ferguson winner. Like she's a legitimate writer. I can write maybe 1,500, 2,000 words and you know, the way the internet is these days, you don't want to write any more than that because people's intention spans are small. So I will say this, if you have a passion for the sport like you do at a young age, like you were way more passionate in doing podcasts. 16, 
there's just no way I would be doing what you're doing. So I, I think that if I can succeed and have the passion for this, certainly someone like yourself can as well. All right. Thank you. And so what kind of led you to sports? You said recruiting, yeah. but how did the idea kind of come out about like where you just switched over to writing sports writing? It's real simple. I wanted to get into hockey games for free and media gets in for free. So I started a media company and I started doing actually a little fan newspaper about the uh, New Jersey Devils in the mid nineties. And Lou Lamoureux really didn't like it and tried to shut me down. The worst thing you could do, Brody, is tell me I can't do something. So that got me even more invigorated and more motivated to do it. And so basically I, I saw this little fan newspaper, some people subscribed to it. This is the early days of the internet. I found a website um, that was looking for writers called In The Crease. I sent over one of my newspapers, hey, we'll give you, you're pretty good. We'll give you your own column. And it was basically from that point on, I just kept writing, kept working at my craft. Um, that's when uh, sports talk radio started really hitting big nationally. I got a break with respect to ESP and radio in, in 2000. I was kind of their insider on weekends and it just grew from that. So it was just basically practice, learning, watching, listening. I'm not doing a lot of talking, you know, even though I talk a lot now. It was just finding people who were knowledgeable and listening to them and asking them for advice and knowledge. Okay. And that eventually led you to get started with the fourth period and mm -hmm. later the Kings of the podcast. So I want to ask, yeah. how'd you get started with the fourth period specifically? Okay. So I was writing for in the crease, um, dot, dot com and they were imploding um there were two partners and they were going their separate ways and and it was very very simple that in uh, the fourth period I was running a banner ad on in the crease on the click through and i saw the website and i emailed dave paniota who's my partner this is like 14 years ago and i said hey you know by the way here's my column stuff like that and we met at the nhl awards in Vancouver that I had never met him. Like, you know, I agreed to do it side on scene. I met him in Vancouver. That was 14 years ago. And we just hit it off. I'm blessed. We've never had an argument. We've never had a crossword in 14 years, like the perfect partner. So Dave's in Toronto, I'm in Los Angeles, and we've grown this to, uh, you know, kind of edit proportions. Like you mentioned, I'm, you know, we're on Sirius XM every week. I'm, I'm on twice a week. I'm on, you know, nationally I'm from four to five on Fridays with Steve Coolius. It's really evolved. Dave's on NHL Network. I've been on NHL Network. It's just basically working at your craft, finding a good partner that you can trust and, and have knowledge. And, and so that's how it started. It's basically answering a banner ad for writers. And, and I, for the longest time, I did this for nothing. And, and that's what I always tell people, that if you want to really be passionate about this, do it for nothing or do it for minimal pay. And, and if nothing more, like this can be a really great hobby for someone. You may never be Bob McKenzie or Elliot Friedman, right? And, and the odds are that you won't, but if, you can, if nothing more, this... This has taken me around, literally around the world, Brody. I've been to uh, Finland. I've been to Sweden um, covering the NHL, and it's been a great ride so far and want to keep doing it. But it was just I found a, a side I could trust, a partner I could trust, and, and here I am now a member of the Hockey Writers Association voting for you know, the MVP and Rookie of the Year awards. Wow. And that later led you to start Kings of the Podcast with John Hoven. How did, yeah. how did that come about? Well, um, we, had, we used to do a media roundtable with two guys uh, that had this um, show called King's Cast. It was an online video show. And the end of every season, he would assemble all the L.A. writers and talk about the season. Um, they stopped doing it. So I said, well, let's keep doing it. So we did a video series called Kings of the Roundtable. Um, and we did it for a couple of years, and it was pretty good. But what happened, Brody, is when you do video, and we do a preseason you know, forecast of what's going to happen with the Kings. That year, John Stevens got fired after 13 games. So it made all that content, like, you know, it, it really invalidated all that content. 
So what I did was everybody's doing a podcast. So I grabbed John. I said, look, let's just try this podcast thing. See how we'll see where it goes. And now I think we're like two and two years in, I think some 80 some odd shows that we've done. Um, we're at the top of the Apple podcast trending uh, podcast every week. So it's, again, it's finding a really great partner. Um, I'm here in LA. He's in LA. We cover the team. You know, we know a lot about the team. I've been covering the team for 20 years. John was a fan, like me, John was a fan of the Kings. And then, you know, probably around 15 years ago, decided to do Mayor's Matter and put up a website. And, you know, again, he's a salesperson. He's a businessman too. I think the two things about us, we were business people before we got into this. So we understand business relationships, Brody. And like for someone like yourself, it, it, to me, it's like you can never have enough relationships in this business. That's who's going to help you. You nobody's that talented. You're not going to offer anything that unique to to the audience out there. But if you build relationships and people like you, uh, they'll work with you. Um, they'll have they'll hire you at, at some point. So with respect to Kings of the Podcast, it was just an offshoot of a video series that we did. And John and I have just you know found our voice and uh, we got the right equipment after about six months of trying to go through different equipment. And we've done it, and the fans have loved it uh, because it's an independent. I think honest voice, not that, you know, the, there's a King's, you know, Val, there's a King's official podcast. I'm not saying that Jesse Cohn doesn't do a good idea, but we can say stuff that he may not because he's employed by the team and I'm not. So it's just honesty. It's just our point of view. And it's been a really great success so far. And going back there, you talked about you're both, you were both in big business. So for anybody who wants to get into something in sports media, would you say it'd be good for them to at least not even take a course in business, but learn a little bit about business? Yeah. And I would go into some sort of sales too. I, I you know, if you're going to be success, you want to learn um, how to get the people's buy-in. And so I would take a sales course, sales management course, if I get into sales for a year or two. And, and I think when you look at the people that have excelled with the Kings organization, a guy like Kelly Cheeseman, and Kelly's the chief operating officer of the LA Kings and AEG Sports. He started as a, as a sales ticket, as a ticket sales rep. And basically calling up people on the phone, asking them to buy Kings tickets. And now he's a big shot. And so I, I think that, yes, definitely take business courses. And I would also advocate getting into, even if you don't like it for a year, whatever, early in your career, get into it. Get on people on the phone that don't want to buy necessarily what you're selling and convince them to do that. I, I think that's a really, that's a key. It's convincing people to to give you access to a player, to get that interview or whatever the case may be, or give me information. And mm -hmm. I will say, and the, I think the key is, Brody, not only like that, that, what you understand with respect to relationships in this business is that you'll be told if you go progress, a, a lot of stuff that you can't like use, a lot of stuff is off the record, uh, mm -hmm. but you, you, you hold on to it for knowledge and use it as background information, but you can't, you know, there's so much rush to break stories and put out information. I would say 90 to 95% of the stuff that I'm told either by management or players or agents. Um, I can't use publicly. I can't name them as a source. Um, and I think that's the key. So I think that, the, and I learned that from business. It's about, you can't, you know, it, it seems like, it, it seems like it's a very big business. A lot of players, a lot of agents, a lot of teams, it's not that big. And if you get a bad reputation of opening your mouth or not being able to be trusted with information, you'll be out of this business very, very shortly. So I think, yeah, take business courses, uh, get into sales maybe for a year or two. And I think it will help you if you decide to get into media because most media people, most writers aren't business people. They aren't salespeople. And that's no detriment to what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I just think I'm a little bit more well-rounded well and understand where what the relationships are. So I can, you know, I, I can, there's a give and take with relationships. You know, you can't give me this, but what can you give me? So I, I think that's what people need to learn. And a lot of things people are using in their businesses now is analytics. And I kind of want to transition to the question is, 
Sure. Are you big into hockey analytics? Have you checked them out or what are your general thoughts around the hockey analytics? Yeah. So I've, um, um, in the past, I've subscribed to sports IQ. Um, there's a guy out there, Jack, uh, Jay fresh hockey. I'm a, a Patreon for his site. I'm a Patreon for natural stat tricks. Um, I, I, I use it as background. You know, here's the thing, Brody, like you're more informed with more, not less information. Like, do I mm -hmm. think that every single event analytic is appropriate or tells the story of a player? No, because I watch the games myself and I, I could see, but it, it helps fill out a story. So I'm all for it. I understand why players use it. I understand like Steve Alkett on MSG Network, he has clear site analytics. If you watch MSG, if you get the package and watch these analytics with respect to what happens off the rush and things of that nature and, and expected goals, like all the teams are using them now. So if you're a writer and you ignore it and you say, oh, this player doesn't look good. I look at his plus minus or his points. Like this year, if you look at the Norris race, like you have to look at analytics because mm -hmm. Victor Hedman, as far as great as Victor is, and I have no problem voting for him in the past, he's not the best defenseman. He has had a slump for the last two months. His analytics aren't there. So yeah, I, I don't love analytics. I don't go to it first. But mm -hmm. yeah, after every game, like last night when the Kings are playing in Arizona, I'm looking at natural stat tricks and seeing how many, you know, high danger changes there are. So, yeah, I, I use it a lot to, to form information. It's not the only thing I look at, because I also look at, you know, at players on the ice, what their effort is. I talk to coaches about it, but I certainly used it. I think any writer that's going to be voting for the awards really have to look at analytics at some, at some percentage and have that factor into the, when you make decisions about, you know, the, the subjective awards like, well, Conor McDavid's winning the heart, but the other awards like, you know, the Selkie or the Norris, which is a close race, or the Calder, mm -hmm. which really isn't a close race. But yeah, I use analytics a lot now. I, 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 I probably look at it every day. Okay. And would you say that what you see with the analytics correlates to what you see when you're watching games? Uh, um, I, I kind of look at analytics after I watch the game. Okay. I, I look at it and view it and say, okay, this is my impressions of the game. And then the analytics will either affirm it or say, hey, no, Dan, here's what really happened in this game. And you usually can, you can usually figure out, you know, if John Quick had a great game against Arizona the other night, you could figure out that Arizona had a lot of high danger chances. I think it's looking at individuals, like with respect to things like, when you just look at points, you look at goals and assists, but you look at primary assists. Like Conor McDavid's off the chart with primary assists. So it's not mm -hmm. just gathering points. It's not getting secondary assists on power plays, right? It's looking at five on five play versus power play. Who's, you know, who's really cleaning up on power plays? Who's really driving play five on five? So mm -hmm. I, I think that's how I look at it. So I don't like, I'm not simultaneously looking at uh, analytics and watching the game. I want to make an impression of the game and watching the game. I'm so, and plus I'm also probably not looking at game flow, Brody. I'm probably looking at an individual player. Like I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. Gabe Velarde is going through a tough time here in Los Angeles. So I'm looking at him. I'm looking at like, why is he having a tough time? Can mm -hmm. I see out there? Is the effort there? Is he not making right decisions? Like, you know, it won't tell you the decision-making in the pro play. The analytics might tell you. You might have to look at video. And I also um, subscribe to Instat, which gives you actually film on, or video on every single player shift in the league. I don't have the time to look at all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But if I want to focus on and make a op, an honest observation about a player, I want to look at video. I want to look at analytics. But I also want to watch them in the game. And that makes perfect sense. And you just talked about Gabe Velarde and I kind of want to transition to the LA Kings here. And the first question, sure. you're just talking about award voting. Do you think there's any Kings that have a shot at any major award? And if so, which award? 
the only the only guy that would have a shot, and I don't think he would get it, would be Andre Kopitar for the Bing. I, I don't think any of the players are performing this year that would ha- you know have them in the heart conversation on Norris or Calder. So I think the only one would be Calder because it hasn't been a great year, and this team hasn't won consecutive games I think in in two months. So it's been a trying season. It's getting guys like Velarde going and guys like Quentin Byfield into the lineup. So no, there's no major award winners. Maybe Andre gets like top five for uh, for the Bing because he's got like 10 or 12 penalty minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm biased. I'm a big fan of Andre. I know him, I know him for all his career here in Los Angeles. So, um, and he's that gentleman type of player who plays at a high level. But I think that would be only possible uh, nominee would be Andre for the Lady Bing. And the draft's also coming up. And who do you think the, the Kings are hoping to draft the most or who are they looking at the most for this upcoming draft? Yeah, well, I think if they had their druthers, Brody, and I, I, right now I think they're going to draft about 10th because they're ninth in the standings and Seedal is going to be drafting probably above them. Mm-hmm. Unless they get a, hit a home run and get lucky like they did last year in the draft. If they're drafting at 10, they're probably going to draft the best player available. If they had a, a, an option, they would draft the left defenseman. They would draft Blank Clark. They would draft Owen Power. They would draft Luke Hughes. But they're going to need some luck in the lottery to do that. I think it's best player available. I would think at the 10, maybe a kid like D- uh, Dylan Gunther from the WHL for, uh, from Edmonton. I think he would be a nice choice. They still need wingers, believe it or not. They don't have that lights out score. Maybe it's Arthur Kaliev. Uh, maybe it's not. He's not the fastest skater in the world. So I think if they're picking a 10, I would look at a kid like Dylan Gunther, unless one of the defensemen falls to 10, which I really can't see. Mm-hmm. And we saw a big piece of the Kings or a big piece of the Kings past go at this trade deadline. And that was Jeff yeah. Carter. How sad was the team to see Jeff Carter go? Very sad. He meant a lot. And he came here. And you look at it, and I said, I've written it. it, it he's been, and he was in LA for 10 years. Seems like yesterday they traded for him. But he made a lot of friends. He left with an A on his sweater. When he came here, you know, he was not playing well in Columbus. He didn't have a good reputation. People said he dogged it. People questioned the trade that Dean Lombardi made. And he came here, started a family, won two cups. And uh, never spoke a lot to the media. And I think that's one of the criticisms is that he never spoke with us. So we really couldn't see what type of leader he was. But the guys swear by him. Like, uh, you know, Drew Dowdy was really upset when Jeff left. I think not only because Jeff left, but it was just another piece of the championship puzzle left. And when you look at the last couple of years, you know, Toffoli left. A, a lot of guys left, right? I mean, a lot. Richard left you know, for unfortunate reasons, but mm-hmm. another piece of the championship puzzle left him. Stoll retired, Green retired. There's only a core of five left. There's actually now four. There's Kopitar, there's Brown, there's Dowdy, and there's Jonathan Quick. That's it from the championship season. So I think it's just a reminder to, to Drew and, and the guy there, and Andre that he, he meant a lot from, from a teammate standpoint. He's a good friend to them. But I think it's also a reminder that it's been a long time since they've won the championship too. Mm-hmm. And speaking of someone who was on that championship team, you just said Jonathan Quick. Um, how long does he have left in the NHL? And the second part of the question is, will he spend the rest of the time he has left with the Kings? Yeah, I see people are, are trying to say that Seattle might take him in the expansion draft, and, and I can't see that happening. I just think it's, you know, 33 or 34 years old. It's not going to happen. Um, the other night he played great, and he did get injured. I think with John, I think he stays in Los Angeles short of some team um, convincing Rob, Rob Blake to maybe retain half the salary because it's five, six or five, eight, whatever is cap hit. That's way too much for Jonathan Quick. Mm-hmm. He's basically a one B at this point in time, but he, I expect him to retire a King. I think he'll play out his contract. 
Um, I don't think they'll buy them out because they haven't had, they don't have any salary cap issues. They've got probably $20 million in cap space next season. They don't have to buy them out. And he's still a reliable uh, option. And not only that, if you watch Cal Peterson play over the last couple of months, Brody, he, he hasn't played well. Pucks mm-hmm. are getting through him that weren't getting through him early in the season. So I think that they've got uh, goaltending depth with Louis Parik and Matt Bellotta. So they, they have pipeline of goaltenders. But I think John will be here to tutor and he's you know, going to battle and he's going to be, you know, he's going to be a good role model for these guys coming up because he's, I think he's a Hall of Famer. Brian Mills is a Hall of Famer, and I think Jonathan Quick's got to be one as well. So I do see him staying in Los Angeles, not going to the expansion draft to Seattle, and retiring a team. And how many, how many seasons do you think he would have left with L.A.? I think he's got, whatever his contract, I think he's got, what, three left after this, unless he gets hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he still has a passion for the game. He's highly competitive. You know, he still gets upset when he gives up bad goals. Brody, so I don't, I don't see him retiring before the end of his contract. And I just check Pat Perry. Yeah, he's got two more seasons. He's 35 okay. years old right now. So, yeah, I, you know, the, the thing with these contracts are you know, he's going to make his cash is going to be $3 million and $2.5 million, even though his cap hit is 5.8. So if you can make the argument that at, at half the price, at half the cap hit, let's say, would be what, two two nine. That mm-hmm. might be attractive as a backup because you're only going to pay him half a salary, which would be about a million and a half or a million two in the next two seasons. So I think from a cash standpoint, it works for the Kings. He's a great teammate. So again, I, I don't. I think that he'll play out his contract. There's no reason to walk away from another five and a half million dollars, Brody. He's not dumb. Mm-hmm. So I think he'll just stay here. And uh, you know, if a team, you know, next deadline or somebody gets injured and somebody and he plays well at the beginning of next season, maybe they want to take a look at him as an option. But I, I think he's. He's happy in Los Angeles and would want to remain a king and retire a king. And you were just talking about Cal Peterson has been struggling. Uh, you mm-hmm. threw in Preek's name there. And so there's two parts to this question. Is Peterson the king's goalie of the future? And if so, where does a guy like Lucas Preek, who you just mentioned, fit, mentioned, fit into the team's future? No, well, he's the goalie of right now. I think when you compare Cal to Cal's numbers to John's numbers, Cal's the better goalie right now. But to be honest with you, at the end of the next season, like Cal's eligible for an extension at the end of this year. He has mm-hmm. one more year, and then he's unrestricted. Because remember, here's the thing with Cal, Brody. He's 26 years old. He's not 21 or 22. He's, he's in the prime of his career right now. So, um, yeah. so I, I, And with their depth in goal, and who knows if they draft another one high, I'm not sure they'll do that, go that route. Mm-hmm. Um, it, he doesn't, like, there's not a lot of pressure on him at this point in time. I think they're comfortable going into next season with Quick and Peterson as the tandem again, because it wasn't about goaltending. It wasn't about defense this year. It was all about scoring. This team, actually, when they get when they score more than two goals, they've got a decent record. I think they're like 16, 3, and 4 or something like that, or 16, 2, and 4. So when they score goals, they win games. They just need more goal scorers on this team. So I think they'd be comfortable going in. If one of these guys got hurt, would there, would, did he have enough depth in the system? to have another guy come up and play next season. I, I think they will. But for right now, Cal's not the, he's not the, to answer your question, he's not the goalie of the future. He's the goalie of the present. But I think next season, if they don't extend him, is, is a very big season for Cal Peterson. Mm-hmm. So would you say that if like a guy like Peterson, they don't extend him, would you say they'd have to have a lot of faith in Parikh coming in? Yeah. Yeah. They would have to be convinced that this guy it's ready to go, and he's played very well. And they got another guy named uh, David Horenic, who played for St. Cloud State, uh, who was the runner-up in the uh, the Frozen Four. So he could be a possibility as well. 
Um, so there's, there's depth here. There's quality depth. It's young. It's unproven. But I, I think that they, if, if Cal isn't the guy in the long term, I, I think what they have in the system they'd be comfortable with. And, you know, it could be a situation where you bring up one of these kids and you still have Jonathan Quick around to tutor mm-hmm. him through the end of the 22-23 season. And a couple of nights ago, I think Byfield made his debut. Mm-hmm. How, how long t- until Byfield is playing every game in the top six or just in the lineup every game? Um, well, you're not going back to the O next year, and I assume the O's going to play, right? So he's going to mm-hmm. play here. Uh, I would think next season he has a legitimate shot at the top, at the second line center. If they don't make a big trade, and I've been, if people follow me on Twitter, they know I've been kind of stumping for a, a Jack Eichel trade. If that doesn't happen, then I think, I think Q's got a, a legitimate shot to be the second line center next year. He's that good. When I watch him play, you see his skating. Um, he's 18 years old. You got to remember that. So maybe they do what they did. Like when, when the comparable I would use, Brody, would be um, what the Blackhawks did with Kirby Doc. Okay. If you watch him in his rookie season, he, he was on the fourth line. Um, there was a pause in play. He came back and he was the second line center behind Jonathan Page and did a great job. Now, unfortunately, you know, he got hurt this season. So I think he would have been more, but that's the type of progression I expect, but it's wide open. And again, I mentioned why the Kings aren't going to make the postseason. It's because they don't have a second line and they don't have a second unit power play. So it's going to be wide open. I think Todd would have no misgivings. You know, right now, Todd McCollum, what he's doing, he's observing Quentin. Now they're only going to play him six games. I understand they don't want to burn his first year of ELC, but they're observing this guy. I've seen him play every game. I'm impressed. I could see the talent. I could see the skating. For a big guy, he is fast. Um, He's tenacious on the puck. Um, but yeah, he could be playing top six minutes next season. And keeping going with Kings prospects, which Kings prospect is the closest to entering the league full time? And that's excluding Quentin Byfield. Um, it's hard to say, you know, Sam, Sammy Sagamo did a lot of good stuff, scored a lot of goals down in, in, in Ontario this year. Um, uh, but Arthur Kaliev is the, you know, he's the leading scorer on the team right now. So I would, I would kind of lean towards Artie. He's got that goal scoring ability that they need at this point in time. I think he's a little bit, you know, he's a little bigger than Sammy is too. So I have to say one prospect that gets up next season to be an impact player, it would be Arthur Kaliev. And would you say a guy like Arthur Kaliev, I know there's a phrase going around the Artie party. Would you say that's good for a good look for the team to have a guy like that? Yes, it's a good look. You should promote your players as much as possible. And it's the one thing about this league, Brody, we don't really promote the players enough. And we should. So I think to have nicknames and, and I've been doing the hashtag play the kids all year and people don't like it. But uh, I think a, a kid from Arthur Kaliev who, um, uh, you know, he's dynamic. He's a big kid. He's 6'2", 190. He's got a dynamic shot. You want to market that. I mean, you got to create mm-hmm. excitement because the Kings haven't had a very exciting year. Their core is getting even older. Like you need these young kids to come in and produce and market around them. So, yeah, I don't think there's any problem with hashtags for Arthur Kaliev. Um, I think he's a really good kid. We've interviewed him a couple of times. Um, it's just a matter of the thing with Arthur is, you know, he's not the greatest skater in the world. So can he play at the pace of the NHL? That's the question. That's the issue, you know. And, and the thing is, expectations are tough, Brody, because the expectations on Gabe Velarde was that he was going to come up here and be a star and be the second line center and produce a lot of points for the Kings. And it hasn't happened for whatever reason. So I think that's it. But yeah, there's nothing wrong with marketing these kids. There's nothing wrong with telling stories about them because Again, the Kings do have a very de- deep prospect pool, and I just, I, I just like when he scores that, you know, even in the, in the AHL, they put up Artie Party, and I think that's kind of fun. And another guy who 
he doesn't seem marketable, but he seems like he's been a good addition to the team. Uh, Andreas Athanasiu, what do you think his mm-hmm. next contract with the Kings will look like, or will he not re-sign this upcoming No, I think, that I think that you have a situation here where you have two wingers in Athanasiu and then also Trevor Moore, who's done a really nice job since coming over from the lease in the trade for uh, Jake Muzzin. I think that um, – well, actually, it wasn't Jake Muzzin trade. It was the, uh, uh, it was the Jack Campbell and Carl Clifford trade. You look at Trevor Moore, he's got 10 goals in 50 games. Uh, AA has 10 goals in 42 games. If you can get them, they're not second-line players. But if you get those two wings on the third line, you got something. You got, you got productivity. If you can move Ali Fowles, let's say, to the second line and Kempe to the first. So he'll resign. He's not going to get more than Adrian Kempe. Adrian Kempe last season signed a, two, a, six-year, a $6 million, $6 million three-year deal. So his cap is two. Anthony C. is at one-two. Uh, this year, one-year deal. He, came, he signed very late in camp, a couple of days before the season. I would think a fair thing for Andrea C., uh, Anthony C. would be maybe $3 million over two years. So 1.5 cap hit. You know, he's 26 years old, taken for a couple of years. Um, and then maybe if he, if he does this again, you could extend him at the end of next season. So not a big raise for Anthony C., but he's proven his work. And not only that, you remember, he was like a minus 46 when he played last season and he was basically out of the league the Kings took a flyer on him and it's paid off so again he if he's on your third line scoring goals then you got a pretty decent team if he's on your second line that's where the danger is you can't you can't over project these players Trevor Moore and Anthony Sioux on a really good team would be third line players third line mm-hmm. winners. but they have touch and, and Trevor's done a great job for doing stuff so I think again I would think uh, a small raise to Anthony Sioux on an AAV to one five give him two years and you go from there and I got a submitted question from an LA Kings fan page. Like I posted a poll saying like, or do you have any questions for you? Just, I do that every episode to see if anybody has some cool questions. And there was one player I hadn't heard of mm-hmm. Alex Durkachov. I hope I'm saying that right. Mm-hmm. Um, he asked, do the Kings still have the rights to Alex Durkachov and do they plan on signing him? All right. So they still have the rights. Um, I think it's a long shot. I mm-hmm. think it's a long shot because, you know, Unless you're, so he's on the reserve list. Um, I, I just don't think he's going to come over because they haven't had a lot of success with players coming over from the K. That's, that's been the issue, right? I mean, coming back with respect to either Kovacuk coming back, that didn't work. They had to buy him out. Prokorkin uh, uh, came over late, didn't work out. The problem is, and my partner, John Hope, on the podcast has mentioned this as well, he's 24 years old. So his development curve is just about at the end. So you want to get these players over earlier so you can develop them in your system than as opposed to just dropping them in. You know, Dergeshev, he, he's produced points over there in the K, but you know, he's a minus 22. So he's a purely offensive player. I think the thing with him, he's a left shot center. Um, he could play left wing. I, I don't see that happening, uh, but they do still reserve. And re- it's, remember, it's been, they drafted him in 2015. That's six years ago. So if he hasn't come over by now, Brody, I don't think he's ever coming over, but he's a big kid. He's 6'4", 200 pounds. He might have a legitimate shot making LA LA roster, but you know, a third round pick from six years or five years ago, I, I think that it's very low odds that he finally comes over um, and plays here in the NHL. And I kind of want to move over now to the playoffs. Before you seem not too optimistic as the Kings make the playoffs with the no second line, no second power play. My question is, are you hopeful or any chance that the King can make a push for the four spot in the West division? Well, I, when I asked Todd McClellan the other night about the after they lost 6-2 to, to Anaheim, he was very blunt. He goes, let's face it, we're not making the playoffs. 
So if the coach doesn't think he's making the playoffs, I don't think they're making the playoffs. Could they? Yeah, the tragic number is four tonight. Um, they could go on a run and win, but they've got to play Colorado four times. I don't think they're running on the table on Colorado. So yes, mathematically they're still in it. They're not in it. They're not making the postseason. Would you say it'd be better for them to try and not make the postseason? Because if they, let's say, mathematically they could, you just said, let's say they mm-hmm. win the rest of their games, everybody else loses the rest of theirs. Would it be better for them to get that potentially lower pick as uh, we head to the future? Well, you mean higher pick or lower pick? I guess a lower number, but the higher in the. Oh, the higher pick. Um, I, 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 I think they're just going to play the games and try to win them. Uh, the roster is what it is. They have one more recall. They don't have any superstar waiting down in the O. They're going to play by field for another couple of games and then send them out. I, I think they're just trying to win games. I, I think there's too much pride. And not only that, you have Kopitar who's trying to score 1,000 points. Uh, he's at 999. He's try- Hopefully, he'll get it tomorrow night and don't have to worry about the chase. I think they're just trying to end the season strong. That's what they're going to do because they haven't been consistent. They haven't played well. And, and I don't think that any player goes out there, nor does the coach scheme to lose a game, to be honest with you. They're not going to sit a lot of players. If they start sitting out Kopitar and Dowdy and Quick and Brown, then I'll say, okay, they're trying to lose games. They're trying to get more looks at players. But I don't think they care if it's seven, eight, nine, or ten. Because I'll tell you this, buddy, as great as prospects are, like you got to have legitimate NHL talent on this team now. They have they have too many prospects. So whether they draft seven, eight, nine, or ten, it won't matter for next season. And they really do need to make the playoffs next season. So I think they just play at the string, try to win games, and wherever they fall on the draft board, they don't really care at this point in time. Mm-hmm. And now I kind of want to move to the Seattle Kraken. That's coming up. It's it's hit me by surprise by how quick it is already. Yeah. And what do you think a guy like Rob Blake will do in the expansion draft? Is there any chance he makes one of those off deals or do you see him just seeing what happens? I think Rob's too smart to make an off deal. I think that, I think that a lot of GMs have learned from the mistakes of teams like Anaheim who didn't, you know, who might up protecting a player and wound up losing Shea Theodore or, or Florida who gave them both Riley Smith and Jonathan Marshall. So the Vegas Golden Knights, I would not make a, a side trade to protect the player because who are you going to protect? Are you going to protect, you know, is it going to be protecting a Sean Walker or, you know, or Austin Wagner? No, I, I think that you lose your 11th or your eighth best player, I think, or your ninth best player. You're either going to protect seven and three or four and four. I don't think this team is good enough where they're going to lose that, that player of that consequence. I, I do think that they'll probably consider protecting Dustin Brown. I think they may go seven and three. And the thing with, with LA, the reason they don't have to do this, one of those wacky trades, they're not a mature team, Brody. They have a lot of kids who are exempt from the expansion draft. So they don't have to worry about protecting Byfield or, or all, these, all these other prospects. So I would just – Rob's going to make his list. I think they'll go seven and three. If it means they're going to lose, you know, another a, a defenseman like Walker, or then they, they can afford to do that. You know, I mean, he's, he's had his challenge this season. He got hit in the puck with – he got hit in the face with a puck. That was kind of painful. But, yeah, I don't think they make any special deals. They'll make that list. They'll protect it. They understand they're going to lose one player. But I think because the prospect pool is so deep, whoever do they do lose is certainly replaceable. And my next question is, who do you think is most likely to go? And who's the worst possible loss to this team? I don't, I don't think – look, the kid I like a lot who's not getting any playing time who might wind up going would be Matt Luff. I think Matt Luff hasn't gotten enough time, hasn't got a fair shake. He's only 23 years old. He's got a, he's got a heavy shot. I like him. He's, he's aggressive. So I think that would be the player that I would be most concerned with losing. 
but I don't think the Kings are concerned with losing on that. So I don't really see a player, to be honest with you, Bernie, that they can say, hey, this is a regrettable loss. So mm-hmm. I think they're going insane. Because you know, if they weren't that player, then they would make a trade to protect that player. Say, don't pick this player. I don't see anybody in this lineup. You know, I, I would think that maybe a guy like Austin Wagner. And don't make any, if you look at Austin Wagner, like, Austin Wagner's got incredible speed. He gets so many chances, but he, he cannot finish. And this is going on a couple of seasons now. His first season, he came out, I think he got double-digit goals, looked really good, looked like a potential 20-goal scorer, and then it's just dried up for him. He consistently beats the defense and consistently can't beat the goaltender. That's a challenge with Austin Wagner. So if I was Seattle, maybe it's a situation like uh, a William Carlson, where he's a you know, single-digit goal scorer on a couple of teams. He comes to you know expansion team with no pressure, and he lights it up. So I think that would be the guy that if I was Seattle, I'd probably be targeting because there are tools there. He's got size. He's got speed. He's just got to figure out how to finish. And last question before I let you go. Is there any players that people might not be thinking that L.A. will just go out and protect? Or is it kind of an easy seven forwards, three defensemen for them? Yeah, I think it's easy. I think it's really easy. I think you're going to protect, you know, Drew Doughty, um, you know, like uh, Anderson, Bjornfoot, and then just go from there. And the seven forwards, I would protect, you know, Brown and Kopitar, Ayafalo, Kempe. You know, that, I think it's the usual suspect. So there's nobody going to be left exposed that I would be shocked. And they, I, I think they're comfortable, you know, exposing uh, Jonathan Quick, too. I, I, don't, I, I think that that would not solve problems, but it would, it would also help them with their cap situation. Um, I think he would be great in Seattle. I think he's a championship goal. He is a championship goal center, going to go to the Hall of Fame, be a nice guy to have a net for them. I don't think he's a situation like Mark andre Fleury, because Mark, I think, was still in his prime. If you look at the goaltending situation in Pittsburgh, they finally figured it out after a couple of years. But remember, they 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 let Flurry go and and they protected Matt Murray. And I look at Matt Murray and, and he's in Ottawa now. So um, so I think that would be it. So I wouldn't be I would be shocked if they picked Jonathan Quick in Seattle, but um, I, I certainly think he'll be unprotected at this point in time. You protect Cal Peterson um, and then not hope Quick gets go. But yeah, probably hope that he doesn't get selected because they still have a nice one two tandem for next season. All right. Well, thanks for taking the time to do this interview with me. And uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on the show. Happy to do it, Brody. Anytime. Great talking to you, man. Hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode of the Blood Talks Hockey Podcast. If you did, please share with a friend and leave us a review on Apple.